0: If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference. This show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Doc Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do.
1: We wanted this book to be for people who didn't care how the technology was made, but how it was gonna impact their lives, how it was gonna change their workplace to give them more time with their families or maybe to be more productive to have a more successful career.
0: What is your future workday going to look like? And how will the new technologies developing at lightning speed play a role in such a way that you can use them to enhance your career and your life? That is exactly what best-selling authors John Bazell and Kathy Hackle explore in their new book, The Augmented Workforce, How AR, AI, and 5G Will Affect Every Dollar You Make. John is an award-winning leader in the digital industry whose background has included the co-founding of two immersive technology companies. Currently, he works as lead for supporting growth of the Unreal Engine for Epic Games, creators of this interactive 3D platform. Meanwhile, Kathy is a globally recognized business leader and leading tech futurist, specializing in immersive technology. John, who's also the president of the Atlanta chapter of the VRAR Association, spoke with me about the augmented workforce. John, before we get to talking about your great new book, The Augmented Workforce, I'm going to ask you for a story because at the very end, you say that this came about as a robot was delivering pizza to you and your co-author. And I just wish you'd share that story. Sure. Yeah. Hey, Dot, it's great
1: to be with you today. Absolutely. My co author and I, Kathy Hackle, have known each other for quite a while and we had been working together. And then she left to go join Magic Leap, which was such an exciting mixed reality hardware company. And, you know, she called me up one day and said, it was a steamy Atlanta spring morning. And she said, Hey, would you like to have lunch with me today? And You know, Kathy Hackle has 75,000 followers on LinkedIn alone. So when she says, hey, do you want to hang out? I got something to talk to you about. The answer is always yes. And she said, yeah, there's this cool restaurant called Big Bang Pizza where robots are your waiters. And I said, oh, that sounds awesome. So we get there and, you know, sure enough, here are these kind of Rosie the Robot looking (laughs) contraptions that came over with our trays of delicious, large slices of New York style pizza. And as the food arrived at our table, she said to me, she said, Hey, do you want to write a book together? I said, Oh, well, that sounds interesting. You know, what's your idea for the book? And she said, well, the title of the book is the augmented workforce, how AR AI and 5g will impact every dollar you make. it kind of blew my hat off. And I thought about it for a second. And I said, yeah, okay. I can write that book with you. Yeah, that sounds good. We could do that.
0: (laughs) And wow, two years later, and she even had the title and the subtitle right in her brain. You were probably pretty blown away. Absolutely.
1: And then she grabbed her phone and she said, great. Okay, let's do a LinkedIn Live right now and tell everybody we're writing the book.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Just like that,
1: you know, we're off to the races. We are we off to the race. Back
0: out, off we go with commitment. This is great, Phil. Everybody should have such a great bookender with a creative project. Looking <laughs> into the start of the augmented workforce, one of the first things that you say with Kathy is that technology is evolving so quickly that society is going to have a hard time keeping up. How are we going to see that reflected in the workplace of, let's say, five years from now?
1: Oh, well, gosh, that's a great question. And so timely, you know, as we are in the throes of, wrestling with what the pandemic has done to the workplace, to people's attitudes towards work. I read just recently that, you know, employers are having a difficult time. The Bureau of Labor Statistics is saying that, you know, they expect three in 10 people to return to work soon, and and only two in 10 are returning. So it's a 33% shortfall. So already we're grappling with changes for how people are are willing to be part of the workforce. And and technology certainly has a role to play. I mean, even now, right? This is something that perhaps a couple of years ago that we might have found a way to do in person where I would come to your recording studio and, you know, sync up schedules and what have you. But we've all been staring at this kind of Brady Bunch mosaic of flat paneled images. You know, it's almost like Hollywood Squares TV show where we're getting very comfortable communicating purely digitally. I've been working exclusively in this room for the last, you know, 18 months, I would imagine many people have. And as we go back to work, you know, there's this teleworking element that is certainly a part of it. There are, you know, relying more on cloud technology for not only the files we share, but for the computing power that we need to do more advanced applications, whether that's real-time 3D rendering or machine learning. There's so many different applications for computing power using distributed computer systems. You know, it's funny, 5G is a major part of the focus of our book. And yet, because we've all been at home for so long, it's really stunted the rollout of it a bit. And I think the carriers are challenged by that. People have been just fine with Wi Fi for the last year and a half. But as we go back, as we re enter the world, you know, a lot of those high bandwidth applications that we want to have that allow us to stay mobile and to connect and collaborate, that's going to need that faster bandwidth of 5G. So more mixed work, some from home, some from other places, not necessarily in the office using some sort of, you know, manufacturing age kind of arrangement of desks and cubicles and what have you, but, you know, more telemetry, more, you know, information about the work that we do how fast we're doing it you know how many people have seen it more kind of performance metrics helping to keep us all knit together as a team and then also you know more advanced ways to train not only to train remotely but to train people just in time as they encounter different things in their work whether it's a, a new piece of machinery or an old piece of machinery or an exotic situation that someone might find themselves in dealing with a customer, in another line of business or perhaps, you know, from another culture. So, you know, we've been working for the last hundred years as a society to create the computing power to solve some of these challenges or help address these gaps that we're now facing. And then we have this extraordinary moment where that technology is now almost aerosolized and able to be spread through the air, throughout, you know, any part of the world to anything that we would encounter. And it just creates this fascinating opportunity for all of us to go back to work and bring the office with us and bring the power of our colleagues and the knowledge of an extended network of industry experts to every single problem. And using 5G and artificial intelligence and augmented reality, we think it's just a unique moment. And that's why we wrote the book.
0: And 5G, when I think of it, I think of lightning fast internet, just zoom, just click on and there you are. And you name that among your six pillars What intrigues me the most though, about those pillars is you talk about XR and you talk about artificial intelligence. And you blew my mind when you were talking about the New York City subway system and what they're going to be doing with training in XR for that. Would you tell me a little bit about training, maybe more specifically for a university or educational setting, since that's where a lot of our listeners are with
1: XR. Definitely. Oh, and thank you for bringing that up. It's such a great story. For those of you who haven't yet read the book, Kathy and I work, I think, really well together. She has this expansive network on social media where she's just in touch with everything that's going on across all forms of emerging technology, whether it's, you know, you mentioned extended reality or XR, that kind of summary of augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, all the different permutations of immersive tech. She also works in, you know, crypto, you know, decentralized finance, blockchain, NFT. She works in AI. And. She works in all of these different aspects of emerging technology, so she's in touch with it all. For me, my experience over the last 30 years working with emerging tech, starting before CD-ROM, has really been about projects, encountering problems on a personal level, trying to help people solve their challenges, and whether that was entertainment or whether that was kind of education or whether that was something in between. And, you know, With New York City Transit, uh, you know, New York City subway system pre-COVID was handling about 8 million and 9 million riders a day, which is amazing. What a fantastic success for public transit. You know, one of the leading public transit systems around the world in terms of volume, ridership, et cetera. They had a challenge, uh, still do, where, you know, although there is fairly new technology in the terminals, the subway stations, you know, some of the rider services, the rails, The stops, the switches, the things that keep the trains going in the right direction and keep them from crashing into each other, those pieces of hardware are like 80 years old, right? Dating back to the 1930s. And they come from a time where there were not good blueprints, where they didn't have computer-aided design. And so much of the information about these things is trapped in the workers themselves or in dated artifacts like blueprints. And you know, for today's trainee, they really, because all of us have had our attention fractured by all these glowing rectangles of glass in our lives, all these screens, right? They haven't had the attention span to digest all of this information that was previously like in a bound book. And because it's so important, they have these trainees go for 26 weeks just to become an apprentice and many people wash out. So they've been paying these retiring experts on the switches and stops on the New York City transit rail system, you know, a lot more than they would normally get to stick around and try to shunt the brain drain that's going on. And so they needed a solution. And when we found them on this project that I was working on, they were getting ready to spend a lot of money on advanced hardware. And I think the challenge with that is, is that, you know, it's still very early days for virtual reality and augmented reality, and whatever we're excited about now, hardware-wise, is certainly going to be a doorstop in six to twelve months. I mean, technology is just ruthlessly progressing, you know, constantly evolving and changing. And so they needed a solution that was going to, you know, stick around, and be more durable than one particular headset. So we counselled them to scan in using this technology called photogrammetry, which is just taking thousands of pictures of an object and letting a computer figure out what the kind of aggregate 3d model data is of that and then once they had that they were able to you know tag all of the different pieces of the machinery put the machinery together digitally and allow students or trainees to assemble and disassemble digitally rather than having to gather underground at a training center in a cluster of you know 40 or 45 students standing around a big 600 pound piece of cast iron waiting for their chance to touch it and it was transformative for them you know Being able to examine a machine from, you know, any part, any angle, looking at individual components of the movement, being able to work at their own pace, to be able to do tasks that were measured, as I mentioned, telemetry before, like, what was their time on task? You know, like, where did they get stuck? Was it the, you know, was it the drive shaft or the worm gear to like, did they have a specific, you know, learning block around specific systems? It really gave the trainers a lot more information and allowed them to take the learning out of the classroom and to the kitchen table or to their subway ride into the classroom so that they could continue to study. So it was taking new techniques and putting them on very old subject matter to help those trainers, you know, meet those students where they are, create new opportunities for learning that go beyond the classroom and really help keep the, literally, literally keep the trains running on time. So it was a fantastic project and, you know, it was very instructive for the book in terms of the opportunity that some of these technologies present.
0: That project could have some exciting applications for the educational field, both in the university area and I'm thinking also... Of course, you have to be really careful with kids because we don't know what effect it has on their brain yet, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, but also possibly K through 12.
1: Well, I think that's a great point you bring up, which is a lot of this is untested. You know, I think you're referring specifically to the notion of virtual reality where you're strapping a computer to your face where there's a screen about a half an inch from your eyeballs, and it gives you this perception that you're inhabiting a virtual world. And in some cases, those devices actually let you see through the optics and have those digital objects appear to reside in our physical world. You know, it's funny, you know, every year they're digging up older and older skeletons. So who knows how long humans have really been around, but certainly it's a very long time. And for 99.9999% of that time, we have been 3D beings in a 3D spatial world holding 3D objects like this coffee cup. And Yet for the last hundred years or so, like moths to a flame, we've been drawn to these flat depictions of life on glowing glass. And somehow people are satisfied with that as if that is the best it could be. Well, it's not the best it could be. Pushing this digital technology into 3D forms and allowing us to see it resident in our physical space is just more natural, right? That's how we interact with everything else. So yes, there are... VR devices where the user is completely immersed in a virtual world and I think researchers would say that the jury is still out the data is not completely conclusive as to how this will affect children you know developmentally the jury is still out probably on things like tablets and phones and you know you see these viral videos of 3 year olds manipulating iOS or Android on their mobile devices. And you wonder, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how to do that. How do they do that? (laughs) Right. But, you know, there needs to be a focus on content. We have more ability than to represent the world as a flat simulation of a 3D object. We have more ability to create insight or to collect wisdom around the spatial, you know, aspects of this world. And, Yes, some devices will succeed. Some devices will fail. The television went through very many iterations. Same to say with the smartphone and other, you know, mass communication mediums before that. But as makers, as educators, we're like cartographers, right? Like we need to map the world. What can we know about it? And in making, how can we understand it better? And you know, digital media provides yet another canvas for us to improve human understanding of the world that we live in, to help to pass along that knowledge into the future, and as makers to fill that with wondrous and inspiring content. And I think that's a big opportunity that we try to lay out here in the book is where that's happening across vertical markets and in the horizontal segments within them.
0: Let's talk about where we started that opportunity as makers, as educators, somebody listening today saying, yeah, I'd love to get involved with this. What do they do?
1: Oh, that's great. So this was kind of uh, you know part of the reason for the book, to be honest. As I mentioned, Kathy kind of covers a breadth of different things happening in the technology community. And, and my milieu that I work in is more projects. It's more you know hand-to-hand <laughs> figuring this stuff out. And we both agreed that... So many of the conversations that we had were, you know, inclusive, right? They were, or exclusive, I should say, excuse me. Technology people, speaking to other technology people, it's an echo chamber. It doesn't really solve a whole lot. I like to say that people don't want to learn how to swing a hammer. They want a place to live, right? They want the end result. And so we wanted this book to be for people who didn't care how the technology was made or how many nits of brightness were in a screen or what the viewing angle was for a virtual reality headset, but how it was going to impact their lives, how it was going to change their workplace to give them more time with their families or maybe to be more productive to have a, you know, a more successful career. And so we thought this book would be a good place to start. We wanted it to be an accessible, helpful, and empowering resource that people could get through in a couple of you know, domestic flights. You know, it's a couple hundred pages or so. It's split cleanly into, you know, 20% on what is all this stuff that we're talking about, 60% of examples, you know, like how is this happening across many industries, maybe your industry? And then the last 20% are helping people kind of frame this for, okay, how will I use this? How will I figure out what it means for me, where to put it to work, and where it's successful, how to scale it up? So we thought we were, you know, onto something with, creating this kind of Rosetta stone or like a way to translate for lay people into this emerging tech conversation and the response has been you know very humbling a lot of people have found what we put out there they said that it's been helpful for them and it's really inspired them to jump in on all this you know promise that emerging technology brings a lot of the back half or the you know the last 20% of the book is about helping you find that community, helping you find those resources, because it's happening in real time. I mean, whatever we're doing right now, it's gonna be defined you know, historically, right? So everybody's making it up as they go. And it's just a tremendous opportunity for people to jump in.
0: Let's cover that. How do I use this? Let's say a maker's listening and there's an educator listening and probably a small business person. How might each of them use what you're saying about augmented reality, about virtual reality specifically, and maybe about AI?
1: Yeah, well, let's take those in turn, right? So from the maker side, you know, and forgive me if I'm a little too narrow here, on the 3D printing side, you know, there's this fantastic ability that's popped up in the last 10 years, at least, you know, kind of from a mainstream perspective, for people to be able to fabricate things that they need, whether it's a missing part or a new invention, and that facility with 3D, that ability for people to say, okay, I need to either capture this, replicate it, I need to invent this. Now you have a way to make it real, to pull those pixels off the screen and to create that part. And what these technologies allow you to do is in the case of augmented reality you can see that in three dimensions, imagine how it will fit into the physical world before you go to fabricate. And for some more complex machines or maybe some parts that are a little more custom whether it's for, you know, uh, custom prosthetics or whether it's for, you know, uh, missing hammer inside a piano or whatever you're trying to create, this visualization technology in 3D removes a lot of the risk from what you would do. Now, if you're, on the other hand, trying to create digitally, there's this concept that we bring up in the book called the metaverse. The metaverse sometimes goes by other words like a mirror world or, you know, web 3.0. You know, it's kind of a concept that emerged from science fiction, to be honest, this open... 3D internet where people spend all of their time in kind of a synthetic environment where they can be themselves, their true selves, and they can transport themselves to other spaces, real or imagined. And as a maker, it's a fantastic opportunity to start to build some of those spaces that people would want to connect with and inhabit. I work for a company, Epic Games, which is most notably known for Fortnite, the largest video game in the world, about 500 million active users. And they're a major proponent of this idea of a metaverse. Now, this book is not at all connected to Epic Games or my role there, but, you know, they recently raised a billion dollars to help build out this emerging open 3D internet. So as makers, as creators, those tools have never been better for people to be able to, you know, create for others to enjoy or to use. You know, for educators, we started talking just a few moments ago about New York City Transit and how they expanded their instructional library with all of these 3D scans of objects. And so too, educators can use that to enhance student engagement or trainee engagement around subject matter. You know, it's one thing to talk about, you know, what exoplanets are, but it'd be quite another to take them to the surface of an exoplanet, right? And help them understand the relationship between them, the orbital characteristics or the gravitational characteristics. I mean, you can use these technologies to do that. Or if you want to, for instance, help them connect with a historical figure to be able to create a conversational AI that, you know, they can have a conversation with, right? I mean, that would be an amazing thing. Instead of just talking about Thomas Jefferson, let's talk to Thomas Jefferson, right? So educators that get involved in, you know, voice technologies, natural language processing, they can Feed information into these conversational chatbots or, you know, voice chatbots and really expand students subject matter. And, you know, I think if you're a trainer out there and you have to either for safety or for efficiency or for rescaling, upskilling, whatever you're looking at, these technologies are amazing. You know, there are plenty of examples in the book. We have 23 pages of footnotes from all the examples that we cite. A lot of interviews were done for this book to really tap into not only the kind of inspiring wonder of what's going on out there, but the sophistication of it all. There's a company called Ario out of Virginia. A gentleman, Nate Fender, a lovely person, is making just-in-time training for agriculture. And so you figure, you know... (laughs) Hundred years ago, if you were a farmhand, you had your spade or your pitchfork and you just kind of get out there and, and move that hay bale. But today you could be thrust upon a $2 million tractor working on a you know 23 degree grade in harsh weather conditions. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, how do I get this thing back to the barn? And with just in time training, augmented reality, probably not so much 5G in the agriculture space yet, but AI, that can help you see what the cockpit of this vehicle is, what the buttons are that you need to focus on and how you might pilot that machine back to home base. So we bring that accumulated knowledge, we contextualize it, and we place it in the physical world using technologies like artificial intelligence and AR. And so we try to do a survey of all of these different exciting things. I'm sure people would wish some of those chapters were longer, but we try to help people see how it's happening across every industry and across horizontal segments within them.
0: And I won't say what, but there's something very interesting that you say about how AR is being used with the military, with canines. And I thought that was really fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Thank
1: there you for bringing it. It's a wealth of examples in there for sure.
0: What I will ask, two things here. First of all, where's the quickest way for people to get a hold of your book, The Augmented Workforce? Where's the link?
1: Yeah, the easiest link to say over something like a podcast would be theaugmentedworkforce.com. My co-author, Kathy, and I collect a lot of information there. There's a link to buy the book. It is available on Amazon globally. So if you go to Amazon and search for The Augmented Workforce or Augmented Workforce rather, you'll find it. We have a Kindle version available as well as a paperback, and there's also an audiobook in production. And so there's lots of ways for people to get this information. They can even download a free chapter from theaugmentedworkforce.com.
0: Theaugmentedworkforce.com and when will your audiobook be out?
1: Oh, um, that's a great question. Our publisher tells us that the talent is working through some of the later chapters right now. I don't have great line of sight
0: on the editorial process from there, but I think, you know, before summer's out, it'll be available. I'm back on that teacher who might want to have her group talk to Thomas Jefferson. Suppose she does. If I were the teacher, I would want the kids to create something and be Thomas Jefferson. Mm, But what if the teacher is not technical? And she says, well, I'd love to do this. I'm a technical person. I don't have any background. How do I learn to do augmented reality? What's a great resource for her to start?
1: Sure. No, great question. And we covered a couple of texts there, right? We talked about AI and AR. I had a question, I was doing some press this week and talked to somebody yesterday and said, what's the thing you've been most surprised by in the writing of this book? Most inspired or excited by? And I think, you know, the thing to answer your question is all of the low code or no code tools that are out there. My entire career, 30 years, has been spent trying to eke something wonderful out of a device that really wasn't meant to do what I wanted it to do, or, you know, (laughs) right. Whether it's, you know, creating websites full of multimedia or applications that took people inside the human body for medical education, or, you know, trying to get, you know, headsets that were designed, you know, for surgeons to train transit workers or things that were designed for entertainment to train Construction workers, you know, so much of what's been in technology for the last 70 years has been trying to twist it to do our will. And it's not like that anymore. There are so many tools that educators, makers, and others can use to really get that idea going and have an 80% solution. And I think, you know, if you're trying to do conversational Thomas Jefferson, you would look for conversational ai on google conversational ai tools you'll find those from microsoft you'll find them from google and the tools are constantly being updated and changing so really a search engine is your you know best place to start or you can follow kathy and i on social media we're always keeping up with the best tools on the ar side it's quite interesting apple has made some leaps recently They just folded into their latest version of iOS, which I think is coming out this fall, a technology called Object Capture. And, you know, it's kind of a generic name. I mean, Object Capture is what the name implies. You capture a physical object and it becomes a 3D object, but it's something that anybody can do with their iPhone. And they make it very easy with their Reality Composer software for people to place these objects within, you know, a digital view superimposed on the physical world. Similarly, there are game engines, which is kind of, you know, they were created for video games to handle all the logic and 3D data, but they're used for everything from, you know, selling soda to training soldiers and everything in between. So game engines are a good place to look. Two of them are Unity and also the one that my employer creates, which is Unreal Engine. And they're both great options for people. So, you know, all of those resources in our book are pointed out and can help get people started. But really, it's changing all the time. So you can't break this stuff. I've made an entire three-decade career out of raising my hand and said, hey, I'll do it. And I figure it out as I go. So I really would encourage people to jump in. There's even a quote from a conversational AI as a testimonial on the back of our book. It's a, about an 18-year-old AI named Kuki, K-U-K-I, who we allowed to kind of read, quote-unquote, read the book. She ingested that data. And we interviewed her about it and she provided a quote for the book. So these are things that people are able to do, either drawing on resources that other people have created or creating their own with free tools. So it's really an exciting time to get started.
0: I've never talked to anybody before who had a robot review their book. What did (laughs) Kuki say about what you did?
1: (laughs) So among other, and Kathy did a whole interview, Kathy Hackle, my co-author did a whole interview with Kuki that's on LinkedIn, I believe probably Twitter also. But we asked Kuki. How would she would summarize our book? And Kuki AI said, this is the executive's guide to key technologies that will fundamentally impact 21st century businesses. So not the most emphatic thing, but it's an AI. I mean, <laughs> we thought it was an important you know, milestone to put that on the book. That might have been the first AI testimonial for a book before. So yeah, it's exciting.
0: A real concern for a lot of people is I'm going to be replaced by a robot. Hmm. But that's not what your book says. You claim that people are going to be moved but not replaced. What does this mean for people in the creative fields, like book reviewers or like musicians or entertainers or anything?
1: Yeah, that's great. You know, people have not always thought about the future in the most constructive way. I heard a great quote the other day in a piece of media where somebody said, you know, humans aren't driven by happiness. They're driven by the burning desire to know what happens next. And a lot of times that's very tactical. It's like, you know, what's for dinner is a pretty vexing question in my family. <laughs> but people don't always think about like, well, what will life be like in 10 years, 20 years, you know, not just the next quarter or the next year. And Kathy, my co-authors, actually put a lot of energy into trying to think about the future in the most professional way possible. She's a, you know, a certified futurist. She sells those services to a variety of fortune 500 companies. And, you know, part of her contribution to the book was thinking about, you know, so often people swing pole to pole about, you know, whether this is going to be a utopian future or whether it's going to be a dystopian negative future, you know, and she posits that, you know, it's really somewhere in between, right. It's what she calls a protopian future or, you know, she's appropriated that terminology and it's really that you know some things will be better and and some things will be worse so if you look at history and you see the previous scares about you know the machines will replace us whether that's in agriculture or in industry or in transportation you know we we always manifest our anxieties about what's next in everything that shows up and there are horror movies from the you know the early 20th century about the telephone dial M for murder or the TV with poltergeist you know we always project our fears onto the things that we don't understand and in this book we talk about how technology is going to remove is already removing a lot of the drudgery and in the short term there is job loss but then that creates untapped you know human capital that can be applied to higher order problems so if you have an ai that can write you know copy for a print ad then you can apply those creative talents to write the next bestseller or to create a new movie. Or if you have AI and robotics that can stock a shelf, then you can put those talents into customer service or into product design. I mean, human capital is such a valuable resource. It's so malleable. It's so versatile. And I think we sell ourselves short. Yes, coming out of the manufacturing age, a lot of us were, you know, putting rivets in metal or eyelets, you know, into shoes, but we're capable of so much more. And technology is really freeing us up to be able to find, you know, more passionate work endeavors and to better ourselves and to better society. And with all the challenges that humanity is facing right now, I think it's, it's about time that we pulled our head up out of some of the kind of mechanical drudgery that we've been doing as human robots for the last hundred plus years and really attack some of those
0: problems. And finally, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you really like them to take away from you and from the augmented workforce?
1: Thank you so much for asking. We wrote this book to help non-technical people understand and embrace and use these technologies for their personal and professional success. We wanted it to be helpful, encouraging. We wanted it to be, you know, a plain English resource that people could get through and use as a springboard to leap into their future. And so if there's one thing that I would say that they should take away from this interview or from this book, it's, it's early. It's not as hard as you think and you can't break it. So, raise your hand in that next meeting, jump on it and figure it out with the rest of us. We're all having a heck of a lot of fun and there's a ton of opportunity for everybody. So just, you know, make the leap and you can't wait to see what people create, you know, and see them in the
0: future. John, thank you for your time today.
1: Oh, it's been my great pleasure. Thank you so much, Doc.
0: You and I have been listening to John Bazell, metaverse builder, enterprise tech expert and best-selling co-author of the new book, The Augmented Workforce. How AR, AI, and 5G Will Affect Every Dollar You Make, which he co-wrote with leading tech futurist and Forbes columnist Kathy Hackel. Find The Augmented Workforce at theaugmentedworkforce.com or on Amazon. And John and Kathy would like to invite you to continue the conversation by following them on social media. Follow them both on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll find their links on theaugmentedworkforce.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at 2mavericks.com. That's 2 M A V E R I X, And you can contact us at 2mavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.